VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? How much of your day is spent staring down at your smartphone? Giving you that little crick in your neck. An hour? If you're a millennial, 10 hours? Well, that won't be the case for much longer. Pretty soon we'll all be wearing smart glasses that project holograms onto our field of view. Like the move from desktops to laptops and laptops to phones, this is supposedly the next big shift in computing. That's the idea anyway behind Meta, a developer of these so-called augmented reality glasses. Don't believe it? We have Ryan Pamplin of Meta on today's show, who will do his best to dissuade the doubters, which I bet is most of you. Let's go. So, Ryan Pamplin of Meta, thank you for being here. Danny of Silicon Valley. <laughs> that's right. Danny around Silicon Valley? In. Danny in, in the valley. Danny in the valley. Yeah, that's where we are. It's very sunny You know, today. the thing that would make it look a lot better is if it had a digital layer on top of it that was contextually relevant to me, my friends, my family, where I'm going, what I'm doing. It's funny you should say that. Is it? <laughs> so, let's start with the basics. What is augmented reality? Augmented reality is the thing that's going to replace your phone, your laptop, your TV, your computer. But I'm getting ahead of myself because really it's a pair of glasses today that you put on your head that's kind of like virtual reality in the sense that it's computer-generated graphics except that you can see through it and the real world and it makes a 3D map of the real world and places information, objects, holograms on top of the world. And if we all wear these glasses, we all see this sort of crazy holographic layer on top. So if I want an Uber or a Lyft, in theory, I could reach down, grab my holographic Lyft orb, let go of it. Now I see a terrain map and I decide that uh, I'm going to go home. So I see the line drawn down to the car. The car comes. The driver sees an arrow over my head. And this is all painted essentially in the real world. I get in the car, and it has a map on the window showing me where we're going, how far along we are, how much it's going to cost, maybe some news headlines. And the driver, instead of looking down at his phone, is actually looking at the road and seeing the directions drawn right on top of the real world. So obviously not something that you could do in virtual reality which would probably have me sitting on my couch in a virtual car driving to a virtual destination, which would be quite different. And just in terms of the glasses, right now this, they're still fairly bulky. They need to, you need to be plugged in. But the future or the idea is that sooner rather than later we'll be able to wear these as effectively spectacles like we all know already. Yeah, yeah. I think spectacles actually are a great driver of augmented reality, even though technically they're not augmented reality, they're essentially a camera on your face. Augmented reality requires cameras on our faces just to keep track of the world. You know, it was only a few years ago that I had Google Glass and people hated my guts when I would go in public with it. Everyone looked at me really mean. Did anybody call you a glass hole? All the time. And they still do. <laughs> but, you know, with spectacles, it's so different. I walk around with spectacles and people... And so, so you're talking about snap spectacles. Yes, yes. Right, snap. which we should explain what that is. They look like cool sunglasses, but they have cameras on them. And what's cool is Snapchat has all these augmented reality special effects in their applications, which you can layer on top of your spectacles footage, or you can just, you know, do in the app. But clearly, Snapchat has figured out that AR is really important for their future and for the future of how we're going to communicate with each other, but also, I think, how we compute. And I think Snapchat glasses are a really exciting sort of first 
proof point that the public actually wants smart glasses on our faces that enhance our everyday lives. And I think they're making it more socially acceptable. And I think ultimately they're going to be in the hardware game too. I think they're more of a concern and more of a competitor than a lot of the other companies that are already in the space because they own the under 25s. How is this not going to be like Google Glass? You know, because Google Glass came out in 2012, 2013. How far have we come and why is this time around going to be different? Google Glass actually technically is not augmented reality. They branded it as AR, but it means assisted reality. And it's a HUD. It's a very small 2017, 20 degree field of view. It's only on one eye. It's on your right eye above where you would normally look. So you have to look up with your eye. And it was designed to only give you notifications. So it was essentially supposed to be like a smartwatch on your face. You're never supposed to look at it for more than four seconds straight. So it has no contextual awareness of the world. It's not putting an object on my desk. It's not, you know, adding directions to the ground. It's just like a HUD. Um, what do you mean a HUD? A heads-up display, kind of like oh, on your right. car. If you have a car, you've seen a car that has the, the miles per hour projected on the windshield. It's kind of like that, but for your cell phone notifications. So that's very different than what we're talking about, which is I'm going to scan the world, and now I'm literally going to draw dotted lines on the ground to show you where to go versus a tiny little thing that you can only see for four seconds at a time. So I think it's it's night and day. Technologically, the miniaturization of microelectronics and the bumps in speed of mobile processors and the speed of wireless networks, things like 5G coming very quickly, that's all going to enable a very high-fidelity augmented reality experience. And you know the Uber Lyft example is great because it's safer. It's more convenient. But if it was literally the same exact experience and it was just a 2D application floating in front of my face and it's essentially the smartphone application, I don't think that's compelling enough to to make everyone in the world want to adopt this and throw behind everything we've been working on for the last 50 plus years. So, I mean, I think it's worth just stepping back for a second. So if you think about where we are with the, the smartphone is the kind of center of our world now. But if you look at it, it's a little rectangular screen. If you think about it, it's not that great of an of a way to use technology. You're kind of tapping with one finger on a little screen and, you know, misspelling words and all kinds of things. Is this the next kind of the big step that went from, you know, PCs to mobile to dot, dot, dot? We are terribly limited by the dimensions of our screens. And the worst part is the flatness, because I'm not flat, you're not flat, we're all 3D. A lot of our data and our ideas are inherently three-dimensional. If you're designing a product, you are literally designing something in your mind in 3D, making it in 2D, and then reimagining it in 3D. And the translation of information back and forth and ideas back and forth from 3D to 2D back to 3D requires a lot of brain power and a lot of imagination that won't be necessary in the future. I think the human is going to be much closer connected to the machine than ever before. And in terms of this being sort of the next paradigm, if this were a stock, if augmented reality were a stock, I would take every dime in my bank account and then I'd get a loan and I'd bet all of that on this being the future of all of computing. You know, and I think Tim Cook And I think the CEO of Samsung, Mark Zuckerberg, and all of these people, I I, I think every single one of them knows this. Well, they've all kind of said it quite clearly publicly, haven't they? Now they have. Because I I was at Facebook's conference week before last. I mean, they were very clear that this is the future, augmented reality. It's true. It's nice validation for guys like me who have been dreaming about this for 20 plus years since I was a little kid. And it's nice validation as someone who's at a company pioneering this technology. I think those guys getting into the space is is huge because it says to the developer community that you should start building a business around augmented reality because there will be opportunities for you. And for Meta and for Magic Leap and for Microsoft HoloLens, that's going to be a huge boost to our ecosystems. And it's also great to have tools being built by these guys already that are making it really easy for people to make augmented reality content. And things like Sixtoff, Six Degrees of Freedom, 
they announced that at Facebook F8 as well. So what they, is that? They introduced a camera with 24 cameras inside of one camera. And it films basically 360 video, but they have overlapping perspectives. So what that means is you can actually move your head up, down, left, right. And you can actually see from all the different perspectives. You can even see around objects. So essentially now you can film a real environment with real actors, real people. It could be a TV show, a movie, a commercial, a concert. And it feels like you're there because you're not just rotating your head in a circle. You're literally able to sort of move your head around within a couple of feet and see from any angle. So it gives you a sense of presence that has never really been experienced with any kind of format video or VR. And it doesn't even really feel like VR. It feels like kind of closer to real life, I guess, is the best way to describe it. And for AR, this kind of technology is really exciting because with volumetric video, which is essentially what six DOF means, six degrees of freedom, you're going to be able to do things like cut out the objects or just take bits and pieces out or remove the background. So then for augmented reality, it's perfect to be able to throw that person or that presenter or that band that's up on stage, only the band and not the background. And then all of a sudden they're transplanted to right in front of you. Boom, right in my living room. I can actually have you two and they're not forced on me like they were in my iTunes account. <laughs> <laughs> there is a darker side to all of this, though, no? One of the issues with Google Glass, and again, this was, that was the kind of the first iteration, people were not okay with having somebody walking around with a camera on their face, which is a bit strange in that everybody's walking around taking selfies and has f- phones on their camera, etc. Isn't privacy going to be a major issue here? I like that you said has phones on their camera. I know you meant to say they have cameras, has cameras on their, on their phones. phones but phone, but yes. I think that's a really interesting point because if you look at the data, the data says that people use their phones more for taking pictures than they do for phone calls now, which I think is extremely telling of where we've gone as a as a culture. And I think you know, we're much more accepting of it now than we were 4 years ago or 10 years ago. I remember photographer friends of mine in New York City, we'd go to Central Park like 10 years ago, and he'd bring his big DSLR and he'd just be taking pictures randomly. And people would sometimes get a little uncomfortable. And I would be uncomfortable like of him taking pictures of random people. But he was doing it for art. It's so funny because now no one would even blink an eye at something like that. So I think in terms of privacy and in terms of where we're going wearing cameras on our face, I think it has a lot to do with whose camera is it? Because if it's Google's camera, versus Snapchat's camera, I think you're going to have a much different sort of feeling around that because we know that Google makes their money, 99% of it, off of us monetizing our identities and advertising to us and creating profiles that are extremely rich. They know us better than we know ourselves. Snapchat doesn't make money that way yet. They're publicly traded now too, 30 plus billion dollar company, I think, something like that. They got to figure out how to make a lot of money and they're probably not going to start charging users for much. I think they're going to have to go down that route as well. So it'll be interesting to see how public perception changes as a result of that. And then you think about companies like Apple that are like the anti-advertising, right? I mean, they have Apple ads that you know exist inside of iOS, but it is like a back burner you know, project. It is not a priority for them. And they really prioritize user experience. And we've seen instances where, you know, the government has wanted data from Apple and Apple has refused. And, you know, it's hard to know what's really going on behind the scenes. You've got to imagine there's cases where things are happening we don't know about. But it's nice that at least there's the illusion that they're protecting our identity. So I think in a lot of ways, when we're wearing these devices around, people will start to make choices based upon who they believe will protect their privacy the most. Because essentially, my headset, my augmented reality glasses are going to create a 3D map of the world. And so will yours, and so will everyone else's. And in theory, that 3D map could be uploaded to the cloud, and it could be stitched together. And, you know, you could say, I want to see Egypt, and boom, now you see what Egypt looked like five minutes ago, not just from one person who was there, but from 10,000 people who have been there over the last week all stitched together. And you could essentially astro-project to anywhere in the world. But, boy, the privacy implications of having a shared map of the entire world... Where can I go and where can't I go? Can I go in your house? Probably not. So do you foresee a clash coming? Because at the moment, we use Google, which is free. We use Facebook, which is free. 
but these have a, another cost, which is effectively our privacy. That's the currency on upon which they trade, and that's how they sell ads and all of this stuff. But it's most of the time, it's in the background. People kind of know about it and accept it because they're getting all this stuff for free, and most of the time it doesn't really affect their lives. But when you put something on your face, and as you say, it becomes somehow more palpable, there is going to be a, a somehow have to be a reckoning, no? It's going to be very interesting to see how consumers respond and to see how we define privacy. I mean, I'll give you an example of, of a big problem in AR. If I'm wearing my glasses, my AR glasses, you're wearing your AR glasses, let's say I'm browsing a website. Well, if I'm just waving my hands in the air and you can't see me touching anything, that's going to be really weird. It's obviously going to be weird for the people who don't have the glasses, but it's going to be really weird if you have them and you don't see me doing anything. So one of the things at Meta that we're doing is public by default. So at very least, you will see what i What does that mean? You're going to see what I'm doing. Maybe you won't see the web page itself, but you'll see the outline of the web browser. So you will, in other words, you will see my, virtu- my augmented reality and what I'm interacting with. That's the plan. And I think there's going to be multiple layers. I think there will be a public layer, and I think there will be a private layer. And you might have a layer that's just for you and your friends. I had a, one of the, the heads of ARVR at Twitter at South by Southwest get a demo from me, and, and they asked, you know, what's the future of, of social media and Twitter in augmented reality? And I said, well, I'd like to hear what you think it is, but what I think it is is just the same thing it is today, except when I tweet, my tweet is stuck here. It's going to stay right physically here where I made it. And when people come back that are connected to me or that follow me or follow people that follow me, they're going to see that physically there. You know, when you come back and see that selfie that we took together, it's going to still be there. Or when I walk out of a film and say, this film sucks. <laughs> well, When that you would... walk to that movie theater, it will be there. And you'll say, oh, well, Danny thought that movie was well, terrible. it's your own fault for going to Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> So a few minutes ago, before we started this, you just saw your heart. So I had a quick demo with the Meta headset on, which is quite cool. I looked down at my chest, and my heart kind of emerged out of my chest and was beating in the middle, in midair, right in front of my face. How did that make you feel? It's bizarre, because, you know, you're standing in a room, and all of a sudden you have this beating, pink, beating heart floating right in your field of view, and it's you can kind of interact with it and... and you know, make it large, small, make it smaller and kind of look at it, all these different angles. It does feel a bit Star Trek come to life. It does feel that way to me too. I mean, I, I wake up every day and I got to pinch myself a little bit. The fact that this is actually happening in 2017, is that the year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's real and it exists and it's shipping to developers who are going to make way cooler stuff than anything that any of the AR headset companies are going to make. I can't tell you what the killer apps are right now. I can tell you what I think. I mean, 3D design, visualization, holographic communication, volumetric video, these are all killer. But the actual applications that get built by, by the, the developers who are so passionate and so excited and so hungry for this, that's what's going to drive the adoption, not just for Meta. It's going to be for everybody. Do you think this is, we are kind of at the beginnings of a kind of, VHS versus beta, you know, war for domination of this new... I wish it were as simple as VHS versus Betamax. The reasons I read recently that Betamax failed was was uh, they banned adult content, which they never would license or allow someone to make adult content, and that was the biggest seller of VHS in the early days. That begs some interesting questions on its, its own that does. I probably am not supposed to answer here. Um, but I would say that I think having an open platform is important. You know, not putting constraints around creativity is, is important. I think you do need some guiding principles to understand best practices of how to interact so you don't create a really frustrating user experience. And in our case, we've created what we call the spatial interface design guidelines, which essentially are created by a team of neuroscientists who are studying human interaction with the real world, with other digital devices, with each other. And, you know, we have this list of principles and and essentially we recommend developers embrace these principles and follow them in order to make applications that are going to be pleasant to use and won't require a steep learning curve. I think that's part of the importance of this new generation of computing is to make it easier so that if your grandma or your four-year-old 
wants to try it. They're both going to be able to figure it out without any real training. Um, good luck doing that with a computer. It's not going to happen. The closest we've gotten is probably iOS. It's pretty darn, pretty darn simple. I mean, how many kids in strollers do we see with, with iPads? With iPad, yeah. Exactly. It's crazy. Uh, they, they might as well just call the iPad mini the iPad junior because, I mean, it's like the device of three-year-olds everywhere. And at the same time, you, you go visit, you know, an older relative that lives in like a retirement community and you see them all with their iPhones and they're all taking tons of pictures. So I think we got to make it really easy for sure. But then back to your, your question of VHS versus Betamax, the market is already way more fragmented than that. You know, you've got three real players, including us, who are creating full stack solutions, not just a piece of the technology stack, not just the optics, not just the software, but end-to-end software and hardware integration and experience. So you've got Magic Leap out of Florida, raised billions of dollars. I think they've raised a billion, but multi-billion dollar valuation. Microsoft with unlimited money uh, building the HoloLens, although not going to ship an updated version of that for quite a while. And also, I think that's more of a reference platform for the PC manufacturers to, you know, sort of build their own versions of that. And of course, they're a software company. They're not a hardware company. They've become a hardware company. But really, they want to own the market share of the OS for the future of computing. But personally, I don't want Windows on my face or my laptop. Just taking the existing paradigm of computing and throwing it into 3D, if it's still 2D Windows, isn't ideal for me. Um, I want to reimagine things and make the experience like just mind-blowingly better. So I feel a little limited. And I, I think you know you got a bunch of other guys out there that are creating the hardware, but there's no operating system. There's no ecosystem. There's no developer plan. You know, with Magic Leap, you're going to get some kind of probably Google OS of some kind. With Microsoft, you have Windows. And with Meta, you have sort of the Meta OS, which today in the dev kit runs on top of Windows, but it looks like its own operating environment. Tomorrow, and when we get closer to the consumer versions over the next, you know, 2018, 2019, I think then you'll have a standalone OS that will be built from scratch to be spatial and to work far closer to how the real world works than how any digital device has worked. If there's a can of soda on the table and you want to pick it up, you just reach out, you grab it, you know how to do that. And that's how things are going to work in AR if we do them right. What's going to keep this from being a bust? Because the history of technology is littered with really good ideas that just didn't work. Yeah, it's true. I think... Ultimately, usefulness is the bar, true usefulness, so not just a novelty. So do all the stuff we already depend on our devices to do, and then do a bunch of stuff that was impossible. Make the impossible possible. You know, if I want to have this interview with you right now, but we're far away from each other, if you could wear a pair of glasses that's similar to the glasses that you would wear anyway, in terms of size and fashionability then we can both wear those glasses and see each other holographically and have a sense of presence that is impossible except for getting together in person. It's those kinds of things that are going to make people put up even with the cumbersome nature of the early generations of these devices. I I don't see a scenario where education in the future doesn't involve this because you can learn so much faster and retain information so much better with augmented reality. There's already studies actually proving this. And, you know, the Minister of Education in China said to me, we have more students in our country than you have people in your country. And I believe all of our students will learn with this within the next five years, and it's going to give them an edge over the rest of the world. He's totally right, because if I can see a human body, life-size in front of me, and then I can pick apart every single layer of it, you can't do that with a textbook. You can't do that with a physical model. This is something that's only now possible here. And if I'm a medical student and I need to operate on cadavers and there's a cadaver shortage, which is a real thing, then all of a sudden I have this ability to have a holographic cadaver in my desk and take a real scalpel and perform surgery on this holographic body and have it react like a real human body would. And if you're wearing the glasses and everyone else in the class is wearing the glasses, we're all going to see this at the same time together. There's just no way that this doesn't dramatically accelerate education. And there's no way that, you know, it doesn't put Kevin Spacey in my living room. He gives some chilling monologue as Frank Underwood, and we look for a subway to push him in front of because it's so chilling. This is inevitably 
going to happen. If you are sitting at a table the size of a basketball court and you want to watch the Golden State Warriors playoff game, imagine being able to see Barbie doll-sized versions of the players running around a table in your living room that's the size of a real basketball court, and you can look from any angle, and all of your friends and you are sitting around the table with a couple of brews, and it's like your courtside, except they're the size of a dollhouse. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. It's going to happen, absolutely. I mean, I'm talking to the, to the content creators from a lot of these giant companies. You know, I had the, the honor and the pleasure of, of sitting next to Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, at the Scale Conference at USC. And I actually gave a keynote, and he gave a keynote after. You know, he and I had a very inspiring conversation about augmented reality. And he said to me, you know, I don't think that for Disney, virtual reality is really the key. I think that for our parks, we're not going to do any virtual reality because Disney's about magic, and that means making the impossible possible, right, which is really what AR is about. What he's saying is we want to give people experiences in our parks that they can't get anywhere else, and we know that the future of doing that is augmented reality. So when you have the the CEO of one of the biggest media companies in the entire world now talking about this, not as a concept, but publicly saying this to me, and then during his talk, saying some of the same things he said to me, I think that's very telling of what's going to come. You know, 3D movies are kind of a gimmick, but if all of a sudden you feel like you're inside of Toy Story and you can walk around or at least move around and look around, you're not going to go back to watching flat movies. You know, the, the head of uh, ARVR at Technicolor, uh, she, they're very big into to ARVR. They have an innovation center. Um, they're doing some some stuff with us, and uh, she calls the movies and TV shows of today flatties, which is, you know, it's funny because Technicolor is a, a company with a rich history of cinema, doing color correction and all these sort of professional services for film and television. They also bought Motorola's uh, set-top box division, so they have the largest number of set-top boxes out there of anybody. And there's the same company that is very ingrained in media as we know it today saying, hey, media as we know it today is going to cease to exist and it's going to transform into this new thing. I think the hardware is finally here. I think the software has some catching up to do. Well, that's what I was going to be. My question was then, because I just had this very cool demo where my heart came out of my chest. But that was standing in a room with a quite a, still quite a big headset that is plugged in. Do you have any doubts about, you know, the the technological hurdles that still need to be overcome for this to truly become glasses like you and I are wearing today? And with all, with the computing power necessary to make all of these things you're talking about actually real? I have a special key card in my wallet that gives me access to a secret room in the building that we're in right now. And in that secret room, I've seen things that give me extraordinary confidence that... This sounds very mysterious. Well, <laughs> I'm saying as much as I can without, without... I want to instill confidence without getting fired. Right. But I'll tell you that we know how to get there. We know how to build it. There's a couple of other companies who are going to provide the chips and various things that will... Components that will make this possible. They have some catching up to do to get to mass production, but the components are going to exist in the time frame they need to exist in to get us the form factor that is going to be something you can wear all day. And it's really important to have a big device today that's tethered because if I give you something with a really small field of view, our field of view is 90 degrees, right? Three times the field of view of HoloLens or of Meta One, which means you're, you're not seeing just a little postage, postage stamp in front of you, but this whole sort of immersive... Layer you look forward top. and this is what you see. Yeah, you don't see really the edges of content get cut off. So it doesn't break the suspense of disbelief. You kind of become one with the content. This is the first immersive augmented reality. And this is really important for developers to have because that's what's going to go mainstream in a couple of years. And the processing capability today of this device plugged into a desktop or a laptop computer with a decent NVIDIA graphics card um, is going to be comparable to the mobile compute of tomorrow, 2018, 2019, and the roadmaps from the chip makers support this, and the 5G capabilities, you know, multi-gigabit throughput with sub-millisecond delays, latency, means we can actually do rendering in the cloud in the future, in, you know, an Amazon warehouse somewhere, 
with a bunch of servers in it, we can render the graphics that you're seeing and it will render so fast and be transmitted back and forth so quickly that you won't even notice. The latency of the optics will probably be higher than the latency of the processing. So you could have unlimited fidelity graphics in your glasses in the case of this because you could offload the compute to some remote location that could be a room full of servers just for your one little pair of glasses. You know what uh, another future I see? What? Spam. <laughs> Spam, my whole field of view polluted by a never-ending stream of banner ads and Groupon invitations and whatnot. Oh, man, that sounds really exciting. <laughs> you know, there's a video called Hyper Reality, which we didn't make, but someone made. I think I think they might be from, from Asia. I'm not sure where, but... The video looks like it's Asia. That's basically what happens in the video is they're bombarded with incredible amounts of advertising. And, you know, at one point the system crashes and the whole world looks like it just falls apart. Check out the video if you want to know what I think I hope and Meta hopes the future does not look like. A lot of why I'm in this is because it could go super wrong and it can also go really right. And I think that, you know, I'm actually secretly a reformed ad man myself. So oh, gosh. I started. Well, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I started an ad tech company and before that a creative agency and I made ads for a lot of these big companies. So I have a, a respect for the brands and for the advertisers, but I also have a great deal of respect for user experience. And I think sadly, a lot of companies suck at user experience and then they also put advertising in those experiences, which just makes it even worse. And I think the experience that you think of today of pop-ups and spam and just like an ungodly amount of emails telling you to buy the new Groupon for whatever, these are problems that have to be dealt with very carefully in this new paradigm. We can't just take the baggage from the old paradigm and bring it to the new paradigm. We've got to rethink these things. If you're driving a car, which you won't be for much longer anyway, but if you are... That's a separate topic, yeah. of course. <laughs> but there's probably a few-year period where you have augmented reality glasses and you don't have a self-driving car. And during that time, you don't want to pop up to pop up in your face while you're driving your car because you might die. You might Correct. not live to see self-driving cars. That would be unfortunate. That would be unfortunate. So these are the kinds of reasons that we have to build an OS from scratch. And we have to think about you know, user experience. OS is operating system for yes. the folks at home. Just yes, <laughs> the operating system has to be reimagined from scratch because there's got to be protections in there where if you're driving, we're not going to distract you from driving. If we don't self-regulate and create these kinds of restrictions ourselves, I bet you the government will. So I'd rather just do it right the first time and ultimately create something that delights people. You know, I do not want to create a new device that puts a bunch of terrible spammy ads all over the world. But I'll tell you what, if I look at a Pepsi billboard and that Pepsi billboard becomes animated when I look at it and then I touch it and it gives me a free Pepsi next time I go to the grocery store, okay, that's, that's a pretty cool experience. And that's sort of the difference between, you know, interruptive versus sort of opt-in kind of advertising. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You guys have raised, what, $50 million? 
officially 75-ish. 75 million. You are the kind of the little fish in the very big pond. And you have Apple looking at developing. I've heard of them. Microsoft. These are big beasts of, of companies that are also doing this. And so you are trying to go about it in a certain way. You can see very easily this path toward a life filled with spam. And if that happens, then everybody just takes their glasses off and goes back to their phone. Yeah, that would be bad. I have a theory. Whoever has the most developers in 2017 wins. Explain what do you mean when whoever has the most developers. So if HoloLens has the most people developing applications, they win. Because the idea is right. They have their HoloLens. They've started selling that to the world. But like you guys, you guys are sending out these first iterations for people to then develop tools and applications, etc. Yeah. Apple, I think, is going to make one of the best quality products in the space. But they're not going to make glasses this year. You know, sorry, Robert Scoble, but it's just, it's not happening in 2017, maybe 2018, but I think they're going to wait. They're a company that has a very long history of coming out with the best in class product way after everyone else comes out with terrible versions. They're going to wait till they can do it right. There's no pressure for them. They're selling more phones than, than anyone else, or at least seems like it, I think in this country. So I think, you know, they'll come later. And they're not going to work on third-party app developers for glasses. What I do think will happen is augmented reality on the phone. I'm very sure the next iPhone will have a depth sensor that will give us Snapchat-like 3D effects of sort of placing things on people and on the world. And I've heard some, some rumors that there's going to be a Maps application that has AR functionality where it's going to draw directions on the ground through the iPhone. I don't know if it's true, but... I hope it's not Apple Maps because Apple Maps is terrible. I'm pretty sure it will be Apple Maps. (laughs) But I I don't see these guys doing anything external. I see see Apple as sort of, you know, doing it all internal for now, kind of in a vacuum, and then unleashing it and allowing the ecosystem to have access to the APIs. I mean, In effect, they release this great product and then they do the same, they do an app store. It's going to have super limited functionality. I mean, look at Siri, right? Siri is amazing. Siri kind of, in my opinion, started the artificial intelligence revolution that we're going through right now. But Siri, as much as its creators wanted it to be open to third parties to plug into, it wasn't open until Viv said, hey, we're Viv is created by the Siri creators. It's a new personal assistant. It's acquired by Samsung. It'll be in a future Samsung device. It's not the thing that's out right now. Bixby, don't don't yeah. uh, get confused there. <laughs> but Viv is crazy. You can say, like, book me a flight tonight at 8 p.m. on any airline except for United and have a car pick me up at the airport when I get there and book me a hotel. And it'll do all that stuff automatically. It's so crazy. It's everything that I've always wanted Siri to be, and it relies on a lot of third-party integrations to a lot of services for airlines and Uber and all these kinds of things. That's what Siri should have been a long time ago. But in Apple's defense, Apple keeps things closed because it ensures a consistent user experience, a higher quality experience. They limit the functionality in exchange for robustness. And I can't fault them for that, but it does create an opportunity for competitors to come in and gobble up the market. Yeah, because Siri sucked for many years. I like it. I say almost every day, I say like, remind me to do this, wake me up at such and such time. And, you know, it generally works. And also all my lights in my house and my smart home, I can control with it, which you know, is very useful. It's actually more useful than any other interface because I have too many lights to try to remember which is which. I, I think that Apple will stay closed for, for a while with this technology, and then they'll open it up to developers slowly. I think you're going to have a ton of applications built on the phone that are AR applications that will become popular, and then when they come out with the glasses, it'll be an obvious, like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, this makes sense. Kind of like how they had all the iPhone apps, and then they released the iPad, and most of them just worked. And over time, they worked really well and were sort of customized for that bigger slab of metal and glass. So you think 2017 is pivotal, though, you say? 2017 is the year that if you win the developers, I think you win the market for at least the next year. In how term. many people are, how many developers are there out there developing stuff for this? Tens of thousands world? in 2017 developing for AR. And they're all over the world? Are they in America? They're or? primarily in the United States. China is surprisingly big, too. There are a lot of people there, and they're, they're also very eager to be early adopters in China. 
I think there is a lot of cost sensitivity, though, in that market. So even though they're eager to develop, it's hard for them to buy a device that costs 3000 like a HoloLens. I think, you know, Meta 949 here for pre-orders, whatever the price ends up being in China, it's still going to be a lot more affordable than some of the other competitors. You know, in terms of pre-orders for us, we haven't officially announced the total number of pre-orders, but we have more pre-orders than I think, you know, there are HoloLenses in the world. Because of the bigger field of view, three times the field Say of view. Say pre-orders, but you've already shipped, no? Yeah, we've been shipping in small yeah. quantities to beta developers, but we haven't fulfilled all the pre-orders because okay. we have a lot. Right. So we got to catch up, right. and we're doing that now. But I, I believe we will have on our own ecosystem, you know, tens of thousands of developers using this device actively. And I think ultimately what that means is more applications will be built for our platform than for the other platforms. And because it's a more immersive field of view, it's closer to the experience that the consumer products will have in the future, which I think makes it more attractive to developers. We're really well positioned for this. But if you zoom out, it's not just about Meta. It's about Meta and Magic Leap and HoloLens all convincing the world that this is the next paradigm of computing. And I think right now we're all friends in that way. And if there's a super successful application on one platform, odds are it's probably going to end up on the other platform. And odds are that, you know, that's going to help drive adoption for the whole ecosystem and the whole concept of AR. And ultimately, it's going to make consumers more interested and have a higher affinity and belief that they should actually buy one of these things. So right now, it's kind of more the merrier. Give it a couple years when we get to the projections that some of the analysts are coming out with saying that 100 plus million of these devices are going to ship in 2020, not by 2020, in 2020. It's DigiCapital. And if you believe that, or you think they're even fractionally correct, it's going to take all of us to uh, invent the things that are going to drive the consumer adoption. Yeah, because the Magic Leap, as you say, which is probably the most hyped and has the most money, I think they've raised a billion and a half or something, if you believe what you read, are soon to be shipping their first headset. But it sounds like it has some kind of weird battery pack that you have to wear in your waist. It's not like you're going down to lens crafters or spec savers and just picking up a pair of really cool glasses that do lots of cool stuff. I'm actually most excited about Neuralink, Elon Musk's new company. Oh, yes. Yeah, that one is is nuts. In case you haven't heard, Elon Musk is building a human-computer brain interface. So behind closed doors, I've actually tried one. Not his, but I've tried another computer brain interface. Uh, what? I do not understand. You wear sensors on your head. That read like sensors, like when you're in the hospital and they're taking your taking. They've actually like put them into a headset strap that sort of fits within an existing VR or AR device. So like a headband, like a headband sort of thing, but it doesn't actually go around your head. It goes sort of over your head, so it can be easily integrated into existing devices. Okay, and it's able to read the electrical signals from your brain, and you can think H I space D A N N Y exclamation mark send, and it'll actually get that. And it'll... You've done this. This is real. This exists. And it's going to be offered as a dev kit soon. This is not, a, this is not my product. This is someone yeah. else's product. But you've, uh, this, you've tried this and this I've works. I've actually experienced this and it actually works. And it's freaking crazy. And, you know, I've been telling people about this for about a year. And people have been looking at me really funny. And now Mark Zuckerberg is saying, oh, we're doing it too. Elon Musk is doing it. So I don't look as crazy anymore. But it's happening. We're going to have computer brain interfaces that are going to make it to where you don't have to use your voice and you don't have to use your hands. You're just going to be able to think it and it's just going to happen. Okay, hold on. So we're going to be walking around with these glasses on and we won't even have to speak. We're just going to have ESP. You can speak. (laughs) Speaking optional. It'll be optional. And, you know, what Elon wants to do is he wants to deeply integrate artificial intelligence with your brain. So he wants to remove the barrier of having any kind of interface, be it a lens in front of your eyes or a screen, and he wants to just go directly into the brain. And if you want to look up a Wikipedia article, you just think about it, and now you see the Wikipedia article in your head, or, or you see it in front of you because he's connected into your visual system. So we're talking effectively at the moment about the end of the smartphone. Absolutely. Fa- the smartphone is done. But fast forward, then we're talking about the end of augmented reality, you know? If we do have truly effective brain AI. If you want to get really weird, what we're really talking about, Danny, is human evolution. You want to zoom out? Yeah, sure. Let's zoom out. Let's zoom, zoom, zoom. We're in the year 3000. 
I don't know what the heck's happening. Donald Trump's probably still president. <laughs> and, you know, we look back on history, and I think we see the merging of, of man and machine as sort of an extension of, of human evolution. And it's, it's not that different than— When does that m- merging take place? I don't know the time frame. But I think it begins with all of the technology that we started building 50 years ago. I think these computers, I mean, the way that human posture is changing due to computers in the smartphone, that's part of evolution, and it's not good. Well, like the stooping down so you yeah, can look down. Yeah, totally. And we're going we're gonna to fix that by putting the computer sort of, you know. In front of you, in or, front of your or, face. Or inside of you. Maybe not really inside of you, but you feel like it's part of you. I mean, that's the goal of AR is to make a computing experience that feels like a natural extension of you. But I think you look in the distant future and you're going to look back and you're going to go, oh, yeah, all this technology that was built by humans, that's just part of, of what is human sort of shifting and changing and evolving. And I, I think like really far down the future, right? I mean, if you believe some of the, the people who predict the future who have been right about a lot of things – you know, transferring consciousness and these kinds of things. Who knows where it's all going to go that far down the road? But I don't think that it's a stretch to think that things like Neuralink and other computer brain interfaces, it's not a stretch to think that those are just going to become the norm and every single person is going to have one. And that's just part of what it means to be a human. It may take 100 years to get fully fleshed out, but then we're all going to be very connected in ways that we've never even imagined being connected. If you've ever watched Rick and Morty, it's like unity. <laughs> so let's zoom back in. Yeah, let's do this that. It's 2017. We're in Silicon Valley, which is a bubble. I think that's fair to say. I've t- heard that. Yes. Please um, don't pop. <laughs> you know, people who are listening to this and wherever are probably thinking, This sounds like total BS. This just sounds like a kind of a science fiction future that is just never going to come to pass. Yeah, I understand, but it's here. I drove a self-driving car to work today. The future is here. On the weekends, I fly my drone. I make my girlfriend 3D printed jewelry. You know? Do you? I do, actually, sometimes. Wow. Yeah. You have a 3D printer? I do. I've had a MakerBot since it first came out. I also work in a facility that has very nice 3D printers. So it's, you know, nice to have this kind of equipment lying around. But it's cheap now, right? You can get a 3D printer for under 500 bucks. You can not even have to own one. You could just make a 3D model and upload it to a service, and they'll mail it to you three days later for 20 bucks. There's tons of ways to, to get access to this cutting-edge stuff, but it's all stuff that we thought would never exist. It's Hoverboards exist. There's like three different kinds of hoverboard. Those aren't really hovering, though. They, they are actually hovering. The, the Hendo hoverboard, it's a sort of magnetic one. It flies over metal. Tony Hawk wrote it. You know? I didn't see oh, that. yeah. That was a couple no. years ago. went viral. Okay. Right. There's uh, the one that Lexus did, which is a superconductor, which uses liquid nitrogen and has a metal track that it goes over, and they use it in a Lexus commercial. And then there, there's one other hoverboard that's real that uses air and can fly over water and over the ground. You know, there's also these human-sized drones now that can autonomously pilot themselves. They showed one at CES a few years ago. Yeah, well, Uber just had their first summit on the future of flying cars, flying taxis. Really? Yeah. Wow. See, Mr. Uh, or ma'am in the UK, I can assure you that if you look at all of these things, the pattern is that what we're talking about isn't so far-fetched. So of all this stuff, you clearly are a technologist. And How'd you get that? <laughs> so of all of these things that are happening, why, what makes AR so special? Why is it this the one that you're actually most interested and most excited about? I think it's the one that I dreamt about when I got glasses when I was seven and I wanted my computer and my glasses. And it's sort of the control interface for all of these things that are being built. It's how I'm going to order my self-driving car. It's how I'm going to use my 3D printer. It's how I'm going to fly my drone. It's how I'm going to do my job. It's not going to be a monitor on my desk. It's going to be a virtual monitor floating in front of me if I have to use Windows or Mac OS. It's sort of the commonality between every major technology out there. You've got to have a way to interface with them. So... I think we have a real chance to to be that. And I think there's a lot of implications of how it can go terrible 
and I feel a great sense of purpose being part of creating what I hope will be a really great way for this to turn out and ultimately a more natural human experience where you and I can look at each other in the eyes and feel more connected than we have since the advent of these little rectangles in our pockets that steal our attention away and I think to take our humanity away I want to be more human again. So the way to become more human is to put a computer on your face. I think it can be because I think it replaces computers that make us less human. Because if I am constantly being distracted and pulled away by a buzzing in my pocket, maybe there's a better alternative to that. Maybe I don't have to have my eyes glued to that. Maybe I can look at the real world and, you know, it's, it's so common. I'll be in a beautiful place. You know, I get to travel all around the world for Meta, which is, you know, awesome unless I'm flying on United. Uh, And I so frequently see people in beautiful places around the world. You know, I was in Whistler not too long ago. The people just stare at their phones as these beautiful mountains are covered in snow all around them, and they're not even looking, unless they're going to take a selfie and post it on Instagram or something. You know, I just like the idea that my desktop background can be the real world. I think it brings us back into the world in a way that we need for everyone to get back into. It's a fascinating vision of the future. Like a Luddite, I'm gonna jump in my car, which has an internal combustion engine and just a key and drive myself home. I don't know if we can be friends anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much, Dan. All right, cheers. And that is all the time we have for this week. A big thank you to Ryan Pamplin for sharing a pretty wild vision of the future. Perhaps it is all a bit closer than we think. We shall see. Uh, If you are digging what you're hearing, please take a moment, go to iTunes, give a rating and review. Uh, You can also read me every Sunday in the Sunday Times. Thanks very much for listening. Cheers. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.